All right, I am Haggai Davis III, along with Haggai Davis II, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Our show is a conversation about the past, present, and future of all things technology that we like to keep topical, interesting, and digestible. We want to thank our sponsor, Cardinal Capital, for making this possible. Cardinal Capital connects businesses to capital. It doesn't matter what business that you are in, Cardinal Capital has the resources all across the United States that are willing to help fund organizations of all sizes, life cycles, categories, and locations. Cardinal Capital works with you to craft the best commercial finance package for you to achieve your business goals. Whether you're looking to refinance current debt because of the new government programs and favorable interest rates, or finance new equipment, or maybe you're trying to acquire another business entirely, Cardinal Capital has the resources to make it happen. When lenders cannot do a loan, they seek out Cardinal Capital to help. The Cardinal Capital guys are easy to work with and fun to be around. Contact them today at 225-308-3700 or send them an email at info at cardinalcap.net and they'll be happy to help you with your commercial finance needs. So each week we take a listener question about a topic that they were interested in by visiting our website techgumbo.net and the question this week was, she asked, how worried should I be about my personal home life, data, pictures, internet, and searches? when I enroll in my employer's bring your own device mobile phone policy? This is a great question. I'm sure it's one that affects a lot of people wherever they have a device that they are are bringing to work and using for work activities. What are you signing up for with your employer whenever you do that? There's There's a lot of things packaged into that question, but the biggest part of the bring your own device, if you're signing a document with the company as opposed to just bringing your phone to work and hitting the company guest network or the company Wi-Fi. If you're just doing some checking your email or checking Google on a break or checking Facebook or something, that's one thing. But if you're using your cell phone for work purposes, for work emails, you're taking photos of, of scenarios of things that are relevant to work and all of that information is staying on your personal phone. Well, you've opened up an exposure that the company has a right to. Right. Usually whenever you bring your own device to do specific work-related tasks, there's something that you might need to sign. Your company likely has a BYOD, bring your own device policy, already in place. You should ask questions about it. Talk to your IT department. Talk to your HR department. Because chances are, there's a lot of things that happen here that might be different company to company, and there might be different laws state to state governing how all this operates. And so the first thing is talk to the people at your company whose job it is to understand this and whose job it is to know the ins and outs and be able to explain it to you. There are concerns out there if you're the company and you bring your personal device and you sign on to the corporate Wi-Fi network, if your phone has been compromised or has malware on it and you get on the company Wi-Fi network and you put malware into or ransomware or worse onto the corporate network, now you've done some damage to the company. That's one problem that you have to be concerned about with bringing your own device on the the company network. Yeah, you are as protected as your least secure access point. And so if you're the company and you have your employees bringing in their personal devices and they're using that personal device to look at 
health information or privileged information, financial information, trade secrets, all those types of things, you really want those heavily protected. And so maybe it's important to separate that personal device from that business device. If you are using your phone to do business critical things in this way, maybe you ask your employer to provide a business device. That way you can keep the two separate and that you only do personal things on a personal phone and you only do business things on the business phone and you keep that business phone locked down secure. You know, maybe that's something you consider here. There is also the issue that companies can put software on your phones that gives them right to go in and delete data or wipe a phone entirely if you or if they're concerned that you've become a rogue employee or if you've been terminated or just any kind of a problem, if that if you allowed them because of that policy that you signed that they could put that software on your phone, then they have access to all of that information legally. Another important point about legally is that if your company is involved in a lawsuit and your device was used to perform work-related tasks, that that device could be subject to discovery. It could be subpoenaed in court and various aspects of the phone could now be dug through by lawyers. And so, you know, that's something to keep in mind that is this worth it? That's right. So if you're on a job site and you're having to take a picture of something on the job site that you, if you're outside of the office and had to take some pictures or you made some notes in, in the notes field on your phone or your tablet and you had that information stored there, then this lawsuit happens. They have the right to come in and look at everything on your phone, including the pictures of your kids, which you had dinner for last night, and the pictures you took of that job site. So how much of that information do you want them to have access to dictates whether or not you should really be using your phone for work purposes. Right. So we've come out pretty harsh so far, but we also understand that having two phones is clunky. It's difficult. And that having one is nice, it's convenient, it's efficient, but sometimes there it might be worth it to separate those two devices out just because of what you're opening yourself up to and what you're exposing yourself to. You know, that's a, a conversation that you need to have with your employer and, and with yourself as to what are the types of risks you're willing to take and what are you gaining for these risks. Because when they start going through that phone and they're looking at your phone records, who you're contacting, and if there's somebody you don't want everyone in the world to know you've been talking to them, where that phone has been, because the location of exactly where that device has been is now part of that record, all of those things are very concerning to you, and you have to have a cell phone to perform your job either come to some real clear understanding with the company you're working for or get a company device. Yes, very much agree. So thank you for the question. We will be sending out a tech gumbo mug, that big 20 ounce beautiful mug with the logo on it. And if you or somebody out there who has a technology-based question and would like to go to techgumbo.net and send us your question, and if we use your question, we will send you a mug as well. So let's move on to the big story here for this segment, all about national cyber strategy. 
Yeah, we are going to focus on cybersecurity here. The Biden administration has just released a new strategic document that provides a security framework for how the country, both the public agencies and private agencies, should start to think about and make changes about their cybersecurity plan. It also gets into big software companies and what they should do and what risk they should bear when it comes to their software. So this is some sweeping ideas that is not in legislation yet, but could be very soon. The document says free markets have imposed an inadequate cost on companies that offer insecure products or services. So they're saying that all those companies who were hacked and shrugged their shoulders and say, oh, well, our bad, that's not enough. That it is no longer simply a matter of business, whether or not a company is hacked, but you're now having national security ramifications. You are affecting the integrity of the country itself with these breaches because of how tied together all these systems are. And so they're saying if you could have reasonably improved your cybersecurity system to have prevented some of these vulnerabilities, then you could be held liable for this. It, it also noted in the mandate from the Biden administration that pipeline operators, rail and aviation systems and, and, exist, and other existing authorities should be held in the same level as cybersecurity issues. So the Internet is basically no longer just a fun thing to do. It is now real critical infrastructure. Yes, absolutely. That if we are thinking about it as in the same vein as the pipelines and the rails and the aviation, it's not a boondoggle. It is critical infrastructure and we should treat it as such. There's a reason why whenever people build apartments that collapse or baby shores that crumble, we hold them liable. We should treat internet companies and technology companies the same way. But the former general counsel of the National Cybersecurity Agency said that, but we're not doing that for cyber. We're doing that for buildings, but we're not, we're not really holding people accountable for cybersecurity. And we've said on this show for years and years, almost back to the beginning of the show, eight and a half years ago now, something like that, that there needs to be comprehensive legislation, should be bipartisan legislation dealing with cybersecurity. So the strategy document outlines five key areas for action, improving cyber defenses at critical infrastructure operators, disrupting hackers and criminal gangs, enhancing the security of technology sold to companies, funding public investments to support cyber upgrades, and working internationally to combat cyber crime. This is just common sense, but I don't think there is much common sense in DC, so it's good to see this is out there. You know, when it comes down to what is this going to affect though, it's going to affect companies that whether you're public, you're private, it doesn't matter. You have to do what's right for the business and and you have to have laws to govern how your data is collected and protected. And we're not doing that right now. A national security advisor said, today we across the public and private sectors devolve responsibility for cyber risk downwards. We ask individuals and small businesses and local governments to shoulder a significant burden for defending us all. She said it's just unfair and effective. And I think a great analogy here is that whenever you go to the grocery store, we don't ask you to look at the meat and determine if it's rotten or spoiled or not. The USDA, the FDA, ensures that what you are buying is clean. And so 
we don't ask the individuals to be experts in whether or not their food is healthy or not. We shouldn't ask individuals to be experts in whether or not what they're doing is cyber secure or not. We should have laws in place. We should have agencies in place. Our government should protect us and just not allow the obvious risks to make their way down to the hands of individuals who don't know what they're dealing with. It's not just the software companies, but tech companies in general. Even the Cisco CEO came out recently and he said, look, we've got to do more. The end user can't ascertain every time what's real and what's not. He said, I think it's an important guiding principle for technology. We should be going forward. I mean, he's right. These companies, these the, the Cisco's, the Fortinet's, the, the, the SonicWalls, the big firewall companies, they're the cybersecurity experts. Joe and Jane Public just want to get on the internet and, and go to Facebook, go to Google, read and send emails. They are not going to know how and what is what kind of code is in everyone, every message. So there is an expectation when they use these firewall products and use the, the antivirus and other softwares that there is some level of protection. But right now, it's really just a crapshoot. One of the things which the CEO of Cisco said, which scares me a little bit, is that governments are probably going to have to move faster on creating regulatory frameworks than they are probably comfortable with or have the knowledge to do so. I'm scared because I agree with him that the rate at which all of this is changing, the rate at which new problems pop up and become important is fast. And it's faster than governments are are comfortable with and are used to. And it's only getting faster. And I agree that we need to develop legislation around this and it needs to be more responsive. But I also understand that that's difficult simply because sometimes we don't know what it is yet that we need to regulate. We don't know what it is yet, how we need to regulate it, but we know that it needs regulations. There is no way that the federal government is going to keep up with the speed and, and the advancements of technology. It's just not. But sitting here with our heads stuck in the sand, hoping that we don't get kicked in the butt is not a realistic strategy. We've got to do things differently that's going to slow things down a little bit to add some protections for the citizens, for businesses, for small and medium-sized businesses that don't have the big, huge IT departments that can. And, and so, yes, there needs to be comprehensive legislation. It should hopefully be bipartisan, take the R's and D's out of it and, and do something that's going to help the citizens. Yes, it, it really doesn't seem controversial that we should protect our citizens. We should make sure that whenever they want to use a computer, that they're thinking about the fun things about it, or they're thinking about how it can help their business, how it can enrich their lives. They're not thinking about, oh, am I going to catch some malware? Am I going to accidentally expose my personal data? Th those are the downsides. You know, We want them to be using it for the ways they want and to improve their lives. Look, this is going to go across multiple agencies. The Secure and Exchange Commission, they've come out and they've putting out some rules of their own about financial institutions. And they're wanting customer notification within 30 days of the being exposed when if your information since if your sensitive information has been released, you've got 30 days now to let your users know this. And 
it's just it's it's a good start, but it's only a start. Yes, absolutely. So this is there are some states that already have legislation like this. This is the first federal policy, which would say that if there is sensitive information leaked, that the company has to tell the data holder. But as you said, this is only a start. Simply being told after the fact, oh, by the way, someone hacked you. It's not even the bare minimum. It's less than that. We should be doing things to prevent the hacking ahead of time. Yes, we should. And one of those ways to prevent hacking or exploiting your personal data, which we've talked about many, many times, is using a password manager, such as a LastPass, which unfortunately had a recent problem. LastPass was hacked recently, and the most frustrating part is this wasn't some grand master super hacker who broke through the firewall. It was something relatively simple, relatively straightforward that could have been prevented if the user would have just updated their software because the patch was updated three years and 75 versions ago. This LastPass employee who is a DevOps engineer, he did not update his home computer with patches and updates for over three years. Now, a software developer who probably creates updates and patches himself should have known better and should have updated the computer, but didn't. And then he logged in from his home computer, which had not been updated, got into the corporate network and his and the malware that was on his computer that could have been prevented with any one of the 75 patches and updates was released into the wild onto LastPass's corporate network. Yes, this is what we mean whenever we say that there needs to be more security levels in place here. That if you have your personal device and you're logging into your corporate network, you need to really think about that. You need to think about the vulnerabilities here. You need to think about you know, are you really being secure with that device? Because there are consequences to these things. LastPass is something that we've talked about for a long time now as a software that we believe in and that we trust. And for them to have an embarrassing failure like this hurts. And so this is also part of what the Biden administration was talking about is that if there are reasonable things that you could have done to prevent a breach or a hack like this, you should be held responsible. Having one of your important software engineers go three years without a security update should come with penalties. This is that level of mistake. This guy had key logging software, key logging malware on his home computer, didn't know it, and this software was reading everything that he was doing. So when he logged into the corporate network, his employee's master password was was typed in. It went through multi-factor authentication and got into the most secret level of things for LastPass. And it all could have prevented just by running updates on the PC. This is what we mean when we say cybersecurity is important. This is what we mean when we say it should not be in the hands of the end user because even the people who should know better, who should do better, still sometimes make mistakes, still sometimes are idiots. And this is why 
We need to have layers. We need to have redundancy. We need to have this happen at a systemic level in order to make sure that we don't have errors and issues like this. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission. And that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula, so proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4, and the show will rerun Sunday at 4. If you missed any part of our show, or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast, which is available on most every platform, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, Overcast, Player FM, and more. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.